Hey guys, if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 15 through 22. And we looked at 15, 16, 17 last week, but we're going to kind of recap. 1 Peter 3, 15 through 22. You know, we are talking about patience, and nobody likes to talk about patience. I get it. Um, but one day, we'll see why God made us wait all these times that we've been waiting. You know, a lot of it is God having us wait um, for what we need instead of giving us what we want. And Miss uh, Teresa had obviously already said something to that measure, and it's, it's much more about God's timing than it is about our timing. Um, it's so funny. This week I've, I've been looking, worked on this message last week, and then pulled it back together this week. And um, there's so many things that I've seen, so many things that I've heard over the past seven or eight days that have led to this idea of being patient. And I'm going to tell you straight up, I'm not your, uh, I'm not God's trophy of patience, okay? You don't necessarily want to look to me as this ideal of patience, and my wife can attest to that. Uh, just don't amen too loudly, okay? Um, but I'm telling you guys, we're a lot of us in the same boat. There are some very patient people in this room, and there are some very impatient people in this room. And um, one of the people this week had said something that wasn't really in line with patience, but it spoke to my heart anyway, and I found this patience message in it. They said, it's important to realize that you are living inside one of your answered prayers right now while you are waiting for the next one. There's always a place for gratitude. It's important to realize that you are living inside of right now one of your answered prayers even while you're still waiting for the next one. And we do, especially in America, have this idea that we want everything right now. You know, years ago, um, uh, I was told lots of things about when you get married. And lots of people try to scare you about that, guys, when, uh, especially young people, people that have not been married yet. And I wasn't young when I got married. I, I met Jennifer, I think, we were 32. Uh, long time to wait. Um, but... A couple of things that people told me is, one, uh, if, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, I'm not going to sing the song because it says, make an ugly woman your wife. Uh, I didn't do that, all right, but I am happy. Um, is buy a piece of furniture together while you're engaged or while you're dating from Ikea, okay? Put a bookshelf or a table or anything from Ikea together to see how compatible you are. You know, I know we don't live in the day of um, AOL internet. You remember that? <laughs> and all that stuff that it did. And if you can find one of those, boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, maybe even married couples, sit back down to that, all right? We get so impatient when our 
handheld mobile devices that are connected to satellites that we can instantaneously, wherever we're at, pull up, ask Google a question about what color Princess Diana's dress was when she got married, anything we want to in the world, and we get impatient when it takes it three seconds to give us an answer. I mean, we literally live in that day and age. Um, And yet, we're called to be patient. We're not just called to be patient, but it's one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that the Lord is producing in us. And so, when we look this morning at this passage of Scripture, you're you're going to see the word patience, but you're also going to have to look for the word patience, which in itself requires patience. So read with me verse 15. But in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. That just means set him up as the Lord of your life. Honor him as the Lord. Worship him as the Lord of your life, in your hearts. And that's always to be happening. Always being prepared to give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is within you. In biblical terms, we call this apologetics. Always being able not to apologize for Christ, because we don't do that. We would never do that. But we give a defense If somebody sees the hope that's in us and they don't think it's a moment or a time or a season in which we should have hope, and yet they see it and they ask, how could you possibly be happy right now? How could you live so carefree? How could you act like you do when everything is so bad? And you tell them it's the hope that's created within me through Jesus. And it's a perfect opportunity to share your testimony You share the hope, the reason for the hope. But when we're talking to these people and we're answering people that ask us about this stuff, Peter says, respond with gentleness and respect. Those are very key words there. Keeping a clear conscience so that even when you're slandered, those who put you, those who have accused you, called you names, made fun of you, drug your name through the mud, stabbed you in the back, ridiculed you, posted things about you that were untrue and unflattering, gossiped about you, even in the midst of this, that they may be put to shame because of your good behavior in Christ. For it's better to suffer for doing good if it is for God's will than for doing evil. Listen, this goes back a lot to which is more important, what people say about me or what God says about me. And we really struggle with this. If God knows you, and God knows your faithfulness, and God knows your servant's heart, and God knows the work that you put in, and God knows your prayer, and God knows your righteousness, and God knows all of the sacrifices that you've made, and nobody else knows about it, it's better that God knows If God knows nothing or sees nothing like that in your life, but people think you're the most wonderful person, the most uh, gracious person, the kindest, sweetest person, and it's only people that know that, but God doesn't know that, you're in trouble. It's God who should be the one that we're trying to impress, or better yet, to obey so that we may please. Now, it doesn't mean we can't do both, but it requires a balance. Live in such a way that if people are to speak 
evil about you that it would lead to their own shame and embarrassment because you're really not that person. Listen, he says here, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all. I mean, guys, it was a good, uh, it was good once, it was good always. We said this Wednesday night, I'm so proud of our people here on Wednesday night. We took this passage of scripture, just a couple of verses, and we dug into it a little deeper. And for those who were here Wednesday night, we, we, we were in the word together, flipping pages together, answering, talking, and trying to get a grasp on the scripture. And listen, we said this Wednesday night, Jesus died on the Christ once and for all. Has a couple of meanings. He died one time for all of us, but it means his sacrifice took. When you sin, Jesus does not need to climb back up on a cross and be crucified over and over again for you to be saved time and again. If you're saved, and it is God's salvation according to Psalm 51, you are always saved. God does not write your name in the Lamb's book of life with an erasable pencil. He doesn't take it and flip it over and say, nope, they screwed up again. Let me get rid of that until they come back. Once and for all, Jesus' sacrifice, his propitiation, his atonement, his death, and his resurrection were good forever for those who would believe. You are secure in that. But listen, he suffered. This is a big deal. The righteous one, the only righteous one for the unrighteous. Why? So that he could bring himself to God? No. So that he might bring us to God. He was put to death in the body, which is the crucifixion. But he was made alive in the spirit, which is the resurrection. In whom he also went, this is where we kind of grind our teeth a little bit in this passage, in whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently, there's that word, in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. And so, guys, what we have there is this. Jesus suffered. This patient God waited for the exact right moment in human history when you you would think, okay, the law was given. Moses and the patriarchs, and, and you got Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob, and Moses and the patriarchs. You've got judges, you've got kings, you've got prophets that come along. And yet at this point in history, when the Roman Empire has really begun reaching its apex, for the first time in human history, there is a language which is spoken very much across the known world. For the first time in history, there's this Pax Romana, this Roman peace across a giant empire that stretches as far as the eye can see. There are roads, an interconnected road system that leads from one city to another and converges upon Rome. Jerusalem is under Roman oppression or control. And in that moment in history, God who had been patient with men's sins, yes, he had judged it. He had flooded the earth. He had burned Sodom and Gomorrah. He had judged the Israelites where they had been taken into captivity as slaves by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And yet in that moment in history, through God's patience, he hasn't wiped mankind out. He has instead inserted himself into mankind. 
He has sent his only begotten son into the world at that exact moment in history some 2,000 years ago because it was the right time. Everything was being knit up and structured so that Jesus, who came to plant his church, could send his disciples out. Now, they used tongues to speak in. In the book of Acts, we read that on the day of Pentecost, especially where the millions that were gathered into Jerusalem that day during uh, that season were able to speak in a language that those who came from all over understood in their own mother tongue. They were able to go back to Ethiopia. You think about the Ethiopian eunuch and carry the gospel to Africa. They were able to go into places of Europe and Russia and Italy and all across the world because there were road systems that were present. Jesus came and established his church. He waited for that moment to happen when it would be most fruitful. He sent out those disciples and they went throughout the earth. And you know what they needed as well as we need today? Patience with people. Several years ago, I was speaking at a college event down at Cross Church in Fayetteville. And um, little did I know, I got quoted in the newspaper. But they asked me what I would say to someone who felt like they were being called into the ministry. And I said, if you don't love people, go home. My wife says, well, you don't always love people. It's like, True. I like dogs a lot better sometimes. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. If you don't care about people, man, the gospel is going to be unimportant in sharing it in your life. God's heart beats for people. God is so patient and long-suffering and forbearing with us. Think about all the times he has borne with us and given us grace and mercy and second chance and a third chance and a ten millionth chance. And yet he still loves us and places his seal upon us. God is patient with you. And if you start to think about how impatient you are with someone, all you need to do is think about how patient God is with you, and it should lighten that load just a little bit. Well, you're right, God. <laughs> think about me. I didn't do very good last week. Maybe I should show them a little grace. Here's the deal. He brings into play here the, the crucifixion, the resurrection, but also this proclaiming of a message of victory to whoever these spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago were. We've got a lot of ideas on that, but I'm not going to jump into that today. When God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, 120 years, Noah was building an ark. Up to that time, it had never rained on the earth before. You know, what? How, how, how did plants grow? How did grass grow? How did fruit and vegetables grow? They were all fed through streams and tributaries. There was dew. There was moisture. There was water that came up. We think about the ocean existed. God created places of water. But there had been no rain. When we talk about the heavens, the first heaven where the birds fly and, and the clouds float, and the second heaven where the stars and the moon are, and the third heaven where God is, somewhere between that first and second heaven, there was a layer of water. That's why when the Bible talks about the heavens bursting forth, 
and the whole earth being flooded. And we're not talking about a localized flood where it was just around Noah's family and homeland. The whole world was flooded to such a point that mountains were underneath water. I mean, this is a massive amount of water that would be poured down upon the earth. But for 120 years leading up to that, God had instructed Noah to build this ark. And you can imagine this ark sitting in his front yard and people walking by every day saying, man, this guy is goofy. What is that thing? That's ugly. You know, he might have got mad like Will Smith did. You know, never mind. <laughs> Somebody want to walk up and slap him. People don't know what a boat is, as far as we're aware. And yet, Noah kept faithfully building the ark, and there was this message. Noah was a proclaimer of the gospel. He, he was telling people, it's time to repent and be saved, because in those days, the deeds of men were wicked continuously. I mean, people had gotten to the base level, and God had set his mind in judgment to wipe out the earth. But he was offering salvation. You see, God never brings judgment without first of all, offering a chance to be saved and forgiven. And he's done that with us so many times. He's been patient with you maybe more times than you would care to count, that he wants to deliver you from something, redeem you out of something, rescue you from something. And he keeps giving you chances to bend your knee and humbly ask for help, ask for forgiveness, ask for salvation, ask for rescue. A lot of times we don't do that, though. And yet God keeps being patient with us and inserting life jackets and throwing out buoys and giving us uh, uh, an air rescue with the rope lower down for us. And so many times we say, it's not in the form I want. I don't want that right now. And God comes back and back and back. And we miss the chances. But in Noah's day, for 120 years, people had the chance all the animals were gathered and delivered to Noah's door. He didn't have to go to different lands and hunt them and capture them. God brought them to the ark. And how many were on the ark? Noah and his wife. Their three sons, one, two, three, and their three wives. Eight people. Only eight people survived the flood. It could have been 800. It could have been 8,000. It could have been 800,000 people, but only eight. What a sad testimony. God was patient with them, even enduring for 120 years more and more of their wickedness and their ridicule and their scorn. And it was sin against God and sin against humanity. And God said, I'm still giving you a chance. I'm still extending this olive branch. I'm still offering you hope. I'm still making a way for you. And every time, no, 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 over and over again. And so the message today is about patience. It's really about God's patience with you. I'm not necessarily telling you that you have to be the most patient person in the world, although if you are anything like Jesus, you will be patient like he is with you. This is not naturally produced in us. Naturally, sinfully, we are predisposed to be angry, to get frustrated, to become vindictive, to carry out all of our angst against somebody to react out of frustration. But spiritually, the Holy Spirit is working within us to produce something that comes out so that when we are pushed and our buttons are pushed and when we are crossed and when we face difficulty, that we don't react out of the flesh, that we respond out of the Spirit. 
the Spirit that indwells everyone who is a believer. Listen, when things are going right in your life, I mean, you got the good day, all right? You got every green light you've hit on the way there. And you get there, and as soon as you pull into the parking lot, man, somebody on the very first row is backing out, and boom, there's your parking spot. And you go in, and you're digging in your pockets, and you find a $20 bill, and you're like, yes, this is my day. And the sun winks at you when you look up at it, you know. We have days like that. Patience is easy on days when everything is going right. But the true test of patience comes when your rights are being violated, when you're offended, when somebody attacks you, or when you're treated unfairly. And we seem to have this idea that we're, we have the right to get upset every time we're irritated, that I must respond to that person on Facebook who just attacked my integrity. Or they said, what about the Arkansas Razorbacks? I've got to respond to that. Impatience, to a lot of us, seems like a holy anger. But the Bible is praising patience as a fruit of the Spirit. And it should be produced in every Christian. You know, patience, what it's doing, when you act with patience and you don't react, when there is a moment where you are still and don't respond What you're doing is revealing your faith in God's timing, in God's omnipotent power, in God's love. I think a lot of times we think of when we're supposed to be patient, we're supposed to be tolerant. We're supposed to wait passively. Um, Maybe even let people wipe their feet on us and just go about our business or keep our mouths closed and not say anything. But most of the Greek words that are used in the New Testament for patience are verbs. They're very active. Patience is going and doing something. It's not responding in a certain way. Listen to Hebrews 12.1. I don't have this on the screen or in the notes, but just listen. Since we also are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us or besets us, And once we've gotten all that junk off, the stuff that's holding us down, the ball and chain on our ankle that's keeping us from running, the sin that we're caught up in, the spider web of evil that we've walked into, once all that stuff is thrown down, he says, and then let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Kind of goes in the face of passivity, doesn't it? How do you run with patience? We don't run races by passively waiting for slowpokes to move out of the way. No, no, no. If you're running the race, you're going to run around the people that are slow. You're not going to be tolerant with people who have cut corners and have cheated. You're going to run your race with what the word means, endurance. You've got a goal. You know, I know you can't tell it now, but when I was in Southside Southside High School in Fort Smith a long time ago, I ran on a cross-country team a couple of years. And man, I love to run distance. I remember so vividly in practices, we would run around a place called Horseshoe Bend in Fort Smith. It was up on Cliff Drive. And there was a place on Horseshoe Bend, it's shaped like a horseshoe, obviously how it got its name, that you could cut across the woods and get on the other side and cut off about a third, maybe a half mile. And I remember... Aaron Carius was our captain, and I remember 
uh, a lot of times guys who would kind of kind of run slow down and get to the back of the line they would run through the woods right there there was a trail and you'd come you'd be busting you look up and be like what the heck man like I ran the whole way and I remember Aaron Carrier standing there one day he was our team captain and he said you guys go back and do that again those guys were like get out of here man and they kept going and he didn't tell the coach the next day we ran, he was standing there again. He's like, you guys are hurting the team. And I was running by. I didn't stop and listen. I was like, man, I don't know what Aaron's got up his rear. Probably not supposed to say that from the pulpit. <laughs> but I was 17 years old, so forgive me, okay? <laughs> not wise 41 like I am now. But I remember the, the rest of the way, man, I'm running like three more miles, and I'm sitting here thinking, man, they are hurting the team because we're, we're, we're placed based on where everybody on the team finishes. And if those jokers are cutting a half mile off their practice time, think how much poorly they're going to do in a real race. And it stuck with me. And believe me, there were days when I wanted to cut through the woods. But I always remembered, I'd just be hurting the team. I'd be hurting all of us. And... and <laughs> And I really did think about that guy's face telling those guys who were cheating. And he was cool because he didn't tell the coach who would have made us all run more, which is probably why he didn't tell him. But it's so great to know that in the midst of even struggle, we can try to bypass the difficulty. We can get impatient and cheat and try to shortcut God's timing and make decisions on our own. But God says, endure. Run with patience the race that's been set before you. Why? Because it helps us learn to persevere through difficulties. You see, what you don't know is if you're getting impatient now and you're tired of God's timing and you say, to heck with you, God, I'm not doing what you say anymore, what you don't realize is the reason why God has you going through these things that are testing your patience is because he's developing your perseverance. What you don't know is six months down the road or three years down the road or 40 years down the road, what you developed in that season by God testing patience is what would help you get through that moment in that season in the future. And we, we want to shirk that. We want the shortcut out of it. But we won't be prepared for what is in the future if we don't allow God to have his perfect work in us now. And it's hard. Patience is endurance. Patience perseveres towards a goal. Patience endures trials. Patience expectantly waits for one of God's promises to be fulfilled. And I say expectantly waits because, man, when God has promised it, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. You keep expecting it to happen, but you don't necessarily know when it's going to happen. And so you endure because it's coming. Keep being obedient. Keep being patient. Keep being hopeful. Keep being faithful. And it will happen. Here's the beauty of this, coming back to uh, the passage at hand. We know that we're always to be ready to share the light within us. Guys, God calls us salt and light. I saw a shirt the other day that said, be salty and lit. I don't think that that necessarily 
applied. Be salt and light. Okay, if the salt has lost its saltiness, it's good for nothing but to be thrown out. What good is a light that's hidden underneath a basket? No good. And yet, we're the salt and the light, the only spiritual salt and light that exists in this world because of Christ. If we aren't letting our light shine, then how's anybody else going to know the way to Jesus? The beauty of this is that we should never be too proud or too scared to share the truth of God's word in the truth of God's love. Be ready always. If it's out on the basketball court, if it's out on a ball field, if you're a parent sitting in the stand somewhere, if you're at the library, if you're at school, if you're at work, if you're walking down the neighborhood, walking your dog, always be ready to share Jesus. Always being mindful that the people with whom we share Jesus are so much like we were before our conversion. Can you even imagine back to the day when you were lost? When you didn't really have a heart for Christ and you weren't obedient and the Holy Spirit hadn't filled you up, do you remember how you were? Well, that's how lost people are. Do you remember how you were approached, what worked? Well, that will also work for you to others. Keep being the light. Keep being a presence in people's lives. Keep being faithful. Never forget that part of faithfulness is patience and grace day in and day out. You know, the whole of Jesus' life was suffering. People accused the Son of God. They spit upon him. They lied about him. They planned and plotted against him. They wanted to kill him. They hated him. Uh, wrath and jealousy towards him. Hatefulness towards him. Constant plots to overthrow him. He was undermined by so many, ridiculed, and in the end, he was murdered after a false trial. And day in and day out, Jesus endured all of that. He was patient through the wicked way he was treated because he had a goal set in mind. This is God's will for my life. I'm going to set my face like, my face like flint towards it, and I'm going toward the goal that God has set for me. Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus was patient with all the evil people and endured what he endured so that he would go to the cross? Man. And he says, if you want an example on how to endure, look to me. If you're struggling in life right now by some besetting sin or by some person that is just deriding you and, and ridiculing you day in and day out, Jesus says, look to me. You want hope to endure? Look to me. You need strength to make it? Look to me. Be patient by enduring through the grace that I'm supplying. Day in and day out. I'm skipping through so much of this. I just want to come to this place. How do we display patience like Jesus? Oh, we're not perfect, so we're not going to do it perfectly. But the very first thing, if you want to live with patience, is begin by daily 
and even momentarily in situations, thanking God for what you have. You know, if you start looking at what you don't have, a lot of times you'll get envious, jealous, and you'll become miserable. But if you start thanking God for the things that he's given, that he's provided, that you do have, you don't live an impatient life. If you start thinking about the stuff that others have got that you haven't got, man, it, it makes you live differently. But if you start looking at where you were, where you started at, where you came from, and what all God has given you since then, man, you start living with a thankful heart. And thankful hearts are usually content hearts, and content hearts are usually hearts that live in the moment, in the present, and they walk with Jesus step by step. They don't try to run ahead of him. So begin with thankfulness. A person's first reaction, and you know we're all guilty of this, is why me, God? Why? Why would you let that happen to me? But the Bible says that God's, that we are to rejoice in God's will. After thankfulness, we're to seek God's purposes. Have you ever stopped in the midst of a trial and just said, God, I don't know why I'm going through this, but I believe you have a purpose and a plan. Can you show me what that is? Now, a lot of us are so impatient that we won't stop in the middle of a trial. We'll just keep staying mad and uh, frustrated and our minds clouded and our judgment ruined. But if you stop and you believe this even beforehand, that everything that you go through in life, every loss, every struggle, every difficulty, every issue, every season, God has a purpose for it. And if you stop and remember that in the midst of it, okay, I know I'm not running off willy-nilly here. I know not, God's not falling off his throne. I'm going through this for some reason. God, could you show me or tell me why this is happening? And if not, could you help me to get through it faithfully so that I learn the lesson well? That's a wonderful prayer to pray in the midst of those things. Sometimes God puts you in difficult situations so that you can be a witness. Isn't that kind of cringeworthy sometimes when you think back? Oh, I went through those moments and I didn't act right. I didn't do very good. I lost my witness. Other times God might allow a trial in order to sanctify your character. God's purpose is always for your growth and for his glory. And that helps us in trials. If you remember you're growing through this and God's getting glory through this, you can get through anything. The third and final thing is we remember God's promises. You remember Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. The all things includes the things that try our patience, the people that make us angry, the moments on the interstate that make us lose our witness, the times in the grocery store line when that person, oh my goodness, that person is paying in pennies. What are they doing? And this is the only line open. Patience pays off, whereas you will always regret reacting out of the flesh. Patience is a virtue. Our natural response when we're pushed, when we're irritated, when something's trying us, is impatience. And what does patience lead to? Stress, anger, frustration. 
But as Christians, we no longer have to respond out of the flesh because we are new creations in Christ. We have the Lord's strength to respond with patience, which is also trust in God's power and purpose. Listen to what Romans 2, 7 says. To those who by persistence in doing good, to those who persistently do good, they seek glory, honor, and immortality. God will give eternal life. Guys, our goal as Christians is not to finish in first place. All right? I want to say this. We've already run the race, won the race. Let me put it to you this way. Jesus has already saved you. You're already a victor in Christ. To you, the spoils exist. The eternal inheritance exists. The riches and the rewards exist. There are more things that we can be doing and building up crowns. But listen to me. This race isn't about us winning and beating everybody else. This is a race where we're called to say, you know what, you're lost, come with me. I'm going to carry you to the finish line with me. And you know what, you're lost, and I'm going to go back and lose my place in the race, and I'm going to take you to the finish line with me. And you know what, you've fallen, and I'm not going to move all your stuff, Jacob. It's not a race to see who wins. The crown and the trophy are already yours. Paul said it. We're trying to win souls and obey and honor God and lead people out of captivity and out of darkness. And sometimes that's going to mean that this difficult person that I've got to truly get on my hands and knees and face God daily and say, Lord, I can't stand them, but I still care about their soul and I don't want them to go to hell. So please work and move and act. Help me to love them like you do and to be patient with them like you are. And eventually, maybe at some point, sometime, we've seen it happen far too often, that person says, I've been watching you over the years. You're different. Not in a bad way. But what is it about you? How could you be so happy coming to this dead-end job every day? We both worked it for 25 years. And yet, you always seem to have a smile on your face. You're always good. You don't steal. I've never seen you do anything wrong. You're always here on time. And in that moment, after years and years, God may be supplying the opportunity for you. And I believe he would be. Let me tell you about the hope, the reason for the hope that's in me. Now, hopefully you've done it before then. But eventually, God's going to bring about a time. Be bold with it. That's what Johnny said at men's breakfast this morning. Be bold with your witness. The rest of this talks about baptism. There's more I want to say. And I might might say something about it next week. But I'm not going to say it today. What I'm going to say to you is the conclusion of this. You and I suffer. I mean, we live in a world 
that is designed by the enemy to make us suffer. Jesus said the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's Satan's purpose against you in life always, day in and day out. All humanity suffers under these labor pains that's brought on by the sin curse. We're all tossed to and fro by the evil one's lies and manipulations. Yet even though we, have a su- we all suffer, we have a Savior who suffered more. He didn't have to, but he did for you, for me. He loves us. He loves us so much that he was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice of himself to bring us to his Father. Remember, Peter's writing this to encourage us that our suffering, our loss, our heartache, our pain, our trials, our storm clouds, that it's all used by God. It's never wasted. Never wasted. Those aren't cliche words that that we speak to hurting people. You know, this past week... Life is filled with goods and bads. Randy and Ramona, happy 40th anniversary. That's a good. Life is filled with bads, depending on how you look at it. It hurts us because we feel the sting of death when we lost Max. Life is also filled with goods because Max knew Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He's absent from this body. He's present with the Lord right now, enjoying a glory that all of us can only hope for. We look forward to you got the ups. Jim and Sharon, our uh, wells are going to uh, Texas this week um, to see, about, see a new doctor who's pioneered a new uh, uh, procedure that will connect to her nervous system to help with the constant pain and migraines that she lives with every day. That's, that's good news amidst the bad. We got Miss Sheila who was diagnosed, who's gone through this cancer surgery that's taken so much from her and gone through these treatments, but she's home and she's doing well. And it looks like everything has been gotten. So there's good. There's bad and there's good. There's bad and there's good, guys. And we're all confined to this life that be good and bad and good and bad and good and bad. How you endure that is going to be solely dependent upon your faith in Jesus. And he says you can. And so we can. Not on our own, but in him. I'm going to ask you guys to pray with me. Lord, I, I think about the good and the bad. I think about Miss Mary Miss Mary Ford losing her daughter this week so unexpectedly. That's bad. Think about the good. Lord, the fact that we've gotten to band together and pray for so many this week and just encourage and lift folks up. Think about the bad. The tornadoes that swept through Springdale and damaged so many people's homes. But I think about the good that we're gathered here today to worship you on a beautiful day. And Lord, day in and day out in a week's span, in a week's breadth, good and bad can happen to us all. Thank you that you were a suffering, patient Savior. 
Thank you, Lord God, that you have instilled in us the Holy Spirit so that we can live with patience in the midst of crookedness and perverseness. We get frustrated with our government. We get frustrated with our entertainers. We get frustrated with sports. Sometimes we're upset at the things that we're asked to do at our jobs. We get angry and lose our patience and our frustration when we get the report from the doctor that we didn't want. The bill comes in that we weren't expecting. The news that we didn't like. And Lord, in the midst of this, the good and the bad, you are still our God. On every crest and every trough and every high and every low and every mountaintop and every valley, you are still our sovereign God. Help us to walk, to live with patience and hope. Help us to endure faithfully, to be expectantly waiting for your promises to come true, to not lose hope, to not lose witness, to not lose testimony, but instead to keep looking ahead. Keep looking forward. Keep looking up. God, we need your blessing. This life is hard, and you know it's hard. Equip us. Encourage us. Strengthen us to make it through. We need it, God. We're ready for heaven today. But Paul said, to go and be with you is far greater. But the need now is that we stay. And you have a purpose for our living today. Until the day you call us home, you have a purpose for us being here. Help us to fulfill that purpose, to be patient in it, to endure in it, to love through it all, and to bring you a lot of glory and worship and honor because we've sanctified you in our hearts. God, we love you and we praise you. Work in us today. In Jesus' name, amen.